All right. Welcome to New Life Midtown, everyone. Let's go ahead and find our seats this morning. We have a, you know, while the numbers might be small, you guys are mighty and powerful in spirit. That's right. That is, that is awesome. Hello, my friend Sam. How are you? It's good to see you back from Alaska. Of course, that was weeks ago, but it's the first time I've seen you since you've been back. It's good to have you back. All right, friends. Man, we've connected one with another. We've sang incredible songs of worship and blessing and honor to the Lord. And today we are jumping into a new series. Before we do that, let me give you a couple of quick announcements while they're fresh on my mind. For all of the members of the house, next week is our quarter three family talk. It's going to be a blast. It's kind of our celebration. Summer's over. Um, I'm going to be going into mourning while summer's over, but everybody else can be celebrating that the fall is here. We are having a, for our food, because you know we always eat well when we get together as a family, we're going to be having a chili cook-off contest. And so for all of you guys who want to submit your chili, Jeff, listen, man, if you want to make something, I can submit it to you in your name, but everybody knows that I'm going to take your money. So listen, I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet, y'all, like bring your best, bring your best. And uh, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to feed the family, which is great. And then, you know, you, you, uh, you might get a little prize for if you win, if everybody likes your stuff. So next week, four o'clock, four to five thirty, we're gonna have a snow tr- cone truck here for the kids and register your kids uh, so we have enough workers. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great time. Uh, secondly, for all the men that are in the house, listen. Uh, a few weeks into September is our annual 2021 men's retreat up at Bear Trap Ranch. If you have not been to our men's retreat, you're really missing out. Uh, it will change your life. And this year, this year, our guest speakers. I've I've actually we have some amazing guest speakers this year. Okay. I sent out a handwritten, not a handwritten, but a personal note to some of the best guest speakers on the planet, and they are here in this house. They are here in this house. Guys, we are sitting on a gold mine of men that have lived faithfully for Jesus for decades, men that have been married to, you know, married to their wives for decades, men that have been faithful in their singleness for years, men that have gone through incredible adversity and on the other side, they are still living passionately for the Lord. And I've reached out to about 15 guys and said, hey, will you speak at our men's retreat and pour into the men of this house? Guys, I am so excited. These guys are ready. They've been praying up. They've been studying. And this is what I've asked them to do. Bring your one thing, the one thing that like, if you could share one thing that God has done, that he has taught you, that he has built into your life, that you are just burning to pour out into someone else. I said, bring that. And all those guys said, we are in. So sign up for our men's retreat. It's going to be great. I'm going to keep pushing this until we go up to the mountain together. All right. Today we're starting a new series in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter one. This is called the revolutionary gospel. The revolutionary gospel. I love that title because, guys, the gospel's revolutionary. Like, it really should not be that we encounter Jesus or his message and remain the same. I personally think that is impossible to actually encounter the living God through the person and the work of Jesus, through the power and the presence of his spirit, and walk away being unfazed, being being just exactly the same as we've always been. And there is so much for us to discover in this gospel, in the book of Galatians. You know, I shared this in the first service. 
Um, I, I have a real fear of, of sharks. I just, um, I'm not afraid of many things. Like I would rather go up against a bear than a shark any day of the week. I just, you know, call me foolish, call me crazy, but that's their domain, right? That's their territory. And, uh, but I've got friends of mine that they just like their idea of a good time is to go and like hang out in the ocean, not on top of the water, like normal sane people, right? But like down there where the sharks live, which is just crazy to me, right? You know, sidebar here, I'm going to tie these two things together, but Christy and I were youth pastors for 10 years. And there's something interesting that happens with kids that grow up in church. They grow up And I think just because they're around the language of God and church and Bible and Sunday school, and I think it just gets worse if you grow up in a Christian school, you kind of grow up around 15, 16, 17, thinking, look, I already know all this, right? I know the stories. I know know where you're going to go with all the messages. But I'm here to tell you, and this is what I would tell my kids all the time. You guys, you thinking that you have explored the depths of God is like me going to the beach and like plopping down a chair and looking at the ocean and dipping my toe in and going, I have explored all there is in the ocean. <laughs> like I know everything there is to know about, I can tell you there's an Atlantic and there's a Pacific and like, that's it. Like I know all there is to know about the ocean. But then, you know, there's a second group of people. There's a group of people that like to get out there a little bit when the water is a little calm and quiet. And, and they snorkel, right? So they, you know, they put on their little mask and they have their little thing and they look down and, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I can see things that are floating up at the top of the surface. And then they kind of are like, yeah, this is it. I've, I know everything that there is to know about the ocean. I've, I've looked down there. There's, thing, there's living creatures down there. And then there are people like my friends, like I just said, like, like these are the crazy ones. These are the ones like you could die down there, like multiple ways. And I'm not trying to put fear in anybody's heart right now, Right. But I got a buddy of mine, he's going to Mexico next week. And I was like, hey, so what are you going to be doing? He's like, I'm going to be diving about 14 to 16 times. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, you're only there for like six or seven days. Like, what are you, like the majority of the time you're in Mexico, you're going to be underwater. He's like, exactly, exactly. (laughs) But even as amazing as it is to get down there and to scuba dive and to go deeper and deeper and deeper and to see all this amazing world you still haven't even touched the surface of what's in the ocean. You haven't even touched the surface. You haven't even skimmed the surface. And for us to sit back and assume, no matter how many years you've been in God, you guys, for us to sit back and assume, oh, we, we, we know what there is that the Bible has to offer. We've read the book of Galatians before. We come to church often. Let me tell you, let me awaken wonder in your hearts today. Yes. Guys, he is beyond exploration. Yes. Like we will spend literally all of eternity not just all of our lives on this earth. We will actually spend the rest of eternity, time beyond measure, discovering and plumbing the depths of all that God is. He's more vast than the ocean. Isn't that right? And so I'm excited to say that we're jumping into the book of Galatians. I think, it ha- I think it's going to speak to us in very, very relevant and powerful ways as we dive into the series. So Without further ado, let's pray and let's jump into Galatians chapter one. Father, we're thankful that the presence of the Holy Spirit is here today. We're thankful that you have gathered your church, that you have gathered the people of God to come and to change the atmosphere, like literally to create and to change atmospheres. 
that you have gathered the people of God to come together and to pray for the needs of the world and to pray for one another. You've gathered, you've sounded the alarm for the people of God to come and to be encouraged and to be commissioned and to be shaped by this powerful gospel. So Holy Spirit, do today what only you can do. You are moving in our midst. You are healing, you are saving, you are delivering, you are comforting, and you are guiding. You are putting broken pieces back together. And Father, today we say yes Yes. to the presence and to the ministry of the Spirit of the living God. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to hit the first five to nine verses as we just kind of set the table for the next nine to 10 weeks together. Beginning in verse one, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters that are with me, Paul's not a rogue, he's not a maverick. He's not just kind of speaking out of his own authority. He's saying, guys, I've got business to deal with here in the churches of Galatia. And I have been commissioned by God himself as his representative to deal business with you guys. And I'm writing this letter to the churches that are in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who gave himself freely and willingly for our sins in order to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen, church. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. You know, as I'm reading the scriptures and particularly diving into Galatians, I have front and center in my thinking those that are either with us, those that are joining us online, or those that will be joining the New Life Midtown family who may not be as familiar with the scriptures as some of us. And so I want to make sure that as we're taking our time through this series that, that we really define terms and we define people and we define issues and we really get down to what Paul is dealing with. And some of you might be going, who is Paul exactly? I mean, isn't it peculiar that he's writing this letter and his opening statement is Paul, an apostle. Okay, so who is Paul? I'm going to start from the resurrection. I'm going to start from the fact that God sent his son Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, laid his life down freely and willingly for the sins of all of humanity. And Jesus, when he was resurrected, many of us know this story, but Jesus did not stay in the grave. By the power of God's spirit and by the command of God the Father himself, God raises Jesus from the dead. 40 days later, 50 days later, Jesus shows up and he baptizes his disciples in the Holy Spirit. We find this in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter two. And Jesus creates what did not previously exist in the earth. He created his church. He created a people born of the spirit and bound by the spirit to live out the mission of God in the earth, which is impossible without the spirit. Now, the church that was born was composed primarily of Jewish people, people that for hundreds and thousands of years had been formed as the people of Abraham. 
who have history, they have life, they have identity. They have certain foods that they eat to separate them from all of the other idolatrous nations. They have the law that God has given to them in order for them to live as the people of God to secure his blessing and his favor. And this, these are the people that have inherited the promises. What, what, what promise exactly? The promise that the very God who formed you and called you out of Egypt is the same God who is going to come back and he is going to reign over the world and he is going to continue to bless you as his special people and he's going to fulfill his promise that he has been making to you and your people for hundreds of years, that the Messiah is going to rule and reign. So this is in the heart and this is in the memory of all of the people on this day that are forming the church in Acts chapter two, right? The church begins to grow. The church begins to expand. People begin sharing the story of Jesus. People begin sharing the reality of who he is. Man, God, the, our Messiah has come. He has been crucified, but guess what? He rose again from the dead and people hear this and faith is awakened and people say, yes, I wanna be followers of Jesus too. And slowly but surely, hundreds here, thousands here, tens here, dozens here. And over the course of weeks, months, and years, the church begins to expand and the church begins to grow. Now, all of this is happening and two very interesting things are happening at the same time. While the church is growing, it is also experiencing intense persecution, right? Because the Jewish people at this time are living as captive slaves under an imperial nation by the name of Rome, right? Rome is ruling over Israel and they are an oppressive regime. And Rome is not too keen on the fact that you Jewish people want to kind of hold to your own religion and hold to your own God. So we'll allow some of it to take place, but you just need to know like, we're just tolerating this. We're not really ecstatic that you're not following all of our gods. So they're getting a lot of kickback from the government, but this new breed of Christians, the church, they're also experiencing persecution from Jewish people. And it's Jewish people who have not yet signed on to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. They're like, well, maybe yes, maybe no, but we're not, re we're not re ready to kind of put our lives on the line believing that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. So they're still people of God as Jews. They're still holding to Judaism, but they're not really for Christianity. And in spite of all of this, the church is still growing. The church of Jesus, the way, the believers the followers of Jesus. Now, I said that they're experiencing persecution and there's this guy by the name of Saul. Who, who is Saul? Saul is Paul and Paul is Saul. And we find out that in Acts chapter seven, there's actually a young guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen is this young guy who has been awakened to the message and the story of Jesus. And he says, man, I'm in. Like this is real and this is true. And Stephen has grown up in Judaism. Stephen has grown up studying and reading the scriptures and quoting the Torah. And then the message of the gospel comes and he lights a fire and he goes, I'm all in. I'm following Jesus with all my heart. And he stands up and he actually defends Jesus before a council of religious leaders. And he gets to a place where Stephen actually confronts these guys for the fact that they're so stubborn and hard-hearted and the fact that they have not received Jesus. And at this point, man, these guys are enraged 
and these religious Jewish leaders actually, actually close their ears and scream at the top of their lungs and they pick up stones and they murder this young man because he believes that Jesus is the way and that Jesus is the Messiah. And the scripture tells us in the beginning of Acts chapter 8 verse 1 that there's a religious leader by the name of Saul and he sits back and imagine this, imagine, imagine right before your very eyes that someone's life has just been taken. And it's not just been taken like kindly. I mean, imagine what it must be to like, to like murder someone with stones and for him to sit back and say, this is good, this is right. See, that's what religious extremism does. That's what religious zealotry, without the, without the spirit of the cruciform Christ, religious zeal moves us to a place to murder those who do not think the way that we think. And Saul said, this was good. In fact, anybody else who thinks this way, man, let them line up and we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take care of this cancer. We pick up the story in Acts chapter nine and turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter nine, because we find out something very, very peculiar happens to Saul. Verse one, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple, murderous threats. Hey, all you Jesus people, all you followers of the Messiah, I'm coming for you. And if you continue in this way, you're dead. Like those are murderous threats. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he goes to the religious leaders of Jerusalem and he says, I need your authority. And listen, this wasn't, this wasn't something that was given to him. This was not an assignment that was put on him. Out of his religious zeal to see Christianity completely removed from the face of the earth, he says, guys, will you authorize me? I'll do the work. I'll go from town to town. I'll go knocking on doors. I just need you to make sure you back me up. And they said, yes, we will. So he's on a crusade to find Christians and to either imprison them or to murder them. But watch what happens in verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you so bent? Why are you so determined to persecute me? Now remember, Jesus has been Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and here Jesus says to him, hey, listen, when you hurt my people, son, you're hurting me. When you speak against my people, you're speaking against me. When you're slandering the name and the reputation of my people, when you're opposing my people, you are opposing me. And that's a good word for us today. With all the differing opinions and with all the differing views, be careful, friend, on the way that you speak against God's body because you're speaking against him, himself. And so Saul responds, verse five, he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. From here, the story gets so good. Essentially in this moment, this one encounter his entire life is revolutionized by this one radical, legitimate, real encounter with Jesus Christ himself. He's actually told to go to the house of a man by the name of Ananias. And Saul is sitting there for three days in utter darkness because blindness has covered over his eyes. 
And as he's sitting there, man, God is just doing work. I think as he's sitting there in solitude and silence and darkness, God, I think, is just causing all of that scripture, all of the Old Testament, God is breathing on it and said, son, you've done well to memorize it, but you've interpreted it a little wrongly, <laughs> right? Let me breathe on you the spirit of life on all of this word that is inside of you. Let me arrange this in such a way that you can actually see what I've been up to all along, that I've not been excluding nations, but I've been setting aside Israel ultimately to prepare them so that they could reach out for the nations. Let me reveal my heart to you. Let me reveal my hope to you. And something is just going on in Saul. And three days later, the scripture tells us that scales fall from his eyes. I think that there are literal scales even over the hearts of some of us today. And I think it's a good prayer for us to pray on a regular basis, God, where I have scales in my thinking where I have scales in the way that I interact with other people, where I have scales where I said, I'm willing to die for this. And if this is wrong, oh God, and I'm blinded by something, my own passion, my own politics, my own whatever it might be, my own pet issues, God, where I'm blinded to the heart of the gospel, would you just cause scales to fall off my eyes? Paul gets saved and he gets baptized. And then God thrusts him into his own little internship where God begins to reveal Jesus and teach him the way of the scriptures more accurately. We find later that Paul becomes, Saul becomes Paul, and Paul becomes a teacher in the church at Antioch. Woo, woo. If you know, you know, all right? And Paul becomes a teacher with Barnabas. And then later in Acts chapter 13, Paul is sent out as a missionary, not to Jewish people, but to all the other people, a group of people we now know as Gentiles, right? Who are the Gentiles? Everybody but the Jews. Every nation, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Every nation on the planet is recognized as Gentiles. And, and, and Paul feels this burden and this call from God. Who's reaching those guys? Who's making sure that they're brought into the family? And so the Holy Spirit sets aside Paul and Barnabas and he sends them out on his first missionary journey. Acts chapter 13, 14, we find that Saul, or Paul's first missionary journey is to this little region called Galatia. There's four primary cities that he hits. And guys, these are fascinating stories. Let me encourage you to read Acts 13 and 14. Power encounters, miracles. I mean, peop, I mean just the power of God is touching entire cities and people are hearing the gospel and they're coming to know Jesus. Paul plants churches there. He raises up leaders and he goes back home and he repeats this cycle over the course of decades. He goes out as a missionary. He proclaims the gospel. He raises up churches and he goes back to home base. And word gets to him that the churches that he established in Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Pisidian Antioch, that in these churches, they were running their race believing in Jesus, and something had slipped in. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Galatians 1, 6, we find out why Paul is writing this letter. Beginning in verse 6, it says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. You're deserting the one. Now, think about this. You're not just deserting a message. You're not just deserting good doctrine. Right? When we abandon the gospel, Paul tells us we're actually abandoning God himself. 
Like it's, this is so crucial because it has implications on our relationship with God himself. I'm astonished that you're, you're turning your back on God. You're turning your back on the one who saved you by grace to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But listen, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That is strong language. In other words, what Paul is saying is, listen, guys, there are, there are gifted, gifted communicators in the world today. You, you ever sit back and wonder, like, how do cults actually form? How does that really happen I mean, you, you know, you're dealing with people that are full of conviction, full of passion, and they're, they're, they're incredible orators. Some of them are, they're handsome, they're beautiful, they're good looking, they've got charisma. And Paul is saying, guys, this is a real thing. But no matter who comes and preaches another message other than the message that you have been saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, nothing else. Now, Here's what I've discovered that I didn't know prior to this, that the people that are doing this, these are not enemies of Christianity per se. They're not, they're not the Roman government. They're not, they're not just Jewish people who do not believe in the Messiah. The group of people that Paul is addressing, these are Jewish Christians. These are, these are believers in Jesus. These are people that accept the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe in the crucifixion and they believe in the resurrection, but there's something that's wrong. They've essentially said, we believe in Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. What Jesus has done is good, but what Jesus has done kind of just makes it possible for us to now continue to honor the law. And here's another way of saying this. The Jewish Christians are saying that in order for you to be accepted by God, you must be like us, right? I want you to follow the line of thinking here. Here's a line of thinking for the Jewish Christian. We have thousands of years of history. We have thousands of years of identity. We have thousands of years of God speaking to us. He called us out. He formed us. He's done a beautiful thing. We are God's chosen people and we are accepted by God, okay? And the reason why we're accepted by God is because we're circumcised and we eat these certain foods that actually keep us kind of pure from all the other nations and we honor certain days that God has given to us and we follow his law. And that's what sets us aside as God's people and that's what qualifies us to be accepted. So if you want to be accepted, believe in Jesus, but you also have to be like us. And Paul gets wind of this and listen to Listen to the language. I'm astonished. You are deserting the faithfulness of the gospel. You're turning your back on Jesus. These people are throwing you into confusion. They are perverting the gospel. And anybody who does this needs to be cursed. This is serious business that Paul is dealing with here. In the next few weeks, as we talk about the book of Galatians, we're going to center in on a couple of things that I want to just kind of announce to you at the beginning. And you can really wrap all of Galatians around these two ideas. Number one, Jesus is central 
and the Holy Spirit is crucial. Jesus is central. He is central to everything we believe. He is central to everything we do. You know, before we went out on summer break, we got an email that went out to all of the New Life staff from our pastor, from Pastor Braden. He said, once you guys get back from rest and once you get back from vacation and we turn our eyes to the fall, he says, I want to take the first three days of the second week of August and I wanna pull all the staff together and we're gonna worship and we're gonna pray and we're gonna seek God's face. And we're gonna ask the Lord to give us his heart and to give us his direction for everything that we're doing in all of our eight congregations around here. Guys, listen, what we are doing, what we are doing is holy and it is spiritual in nature. Like we're, we're not just, we're not just doing human activity. Like we are humans and we are doing human activity, but it does not end there. What we are doing requires the presence and the blessing and the power and the wisdom of God in our midst. It's what transforms, you know, just hanging out, you know, at, 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 at the break room at your office into a small group that is filled with hope and life for those who come, right? It's what transforms just kind of a group of people that find themselves in the same room. It's what transforms them into a church that is a vibrant witness of who Jesus is in this day and in this hour, and Pastor Brady asked the Lord, he says, Lord, tell me, what is the kind of church you bless? What is the kind of church you bless? Is it a church that just kind of gets on board with social issues? Is it a church that kind of defends the constitution? Like, what is the church that you're blessing? And the Lord gave him three very simple answers. He says, a church I'm blessing is number one, a church that sets Jesus at the center. It's the church that recognizes Jesus as king. And we prayed into that. And we will continue to pray into that and we will continue to preach that and we'll continue to proclaim, Jesus, you are the Lord of new life. You're the Lord of new life midtown. And your kingdom reigns and rules over everything that we're doing. And we want everything we do from the greeters to the sound, to the visuals, to the table groups, to youth and children and men's retreats. We want all of this to be centered on you. The second thing the Lord said was, the church I bless is a church that loves its neighbor. And who is your neighbor? It's the person that's right in front of you. It's the person that God puts right in your path. This is the church that I bless. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, regardless of religious affiliation, regardless of denomination, regardless of political persuasion, regardless of of, of, of gender, regardless of age, whatever person is right in front of you, that is the person that God has assigned you to be the person of Jesus to in that moment. And he says, I'll bless that church. And thirdly, I will bless the church that makes disciples. I will bless that church. Guys, how did that come about? It came about by seeking the face of God. It came about by making Jesus central and making the life of the Holy Spirit crucial. Guys, we cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We cannot live in the freedom that God has promised to us We cannot avoid immorality and impurity. We cannot flee temptation. Uh, We we cannot deal with anxiety. We can't deal with all of these things without the Holy Spirit empowering us, anointing us, helping us to be the people of God. So Paul is gonna unpack all of these things in the rest of his letter. But before he does that, he releases or he writes out what might be called like an overture of the book. 
What is an overture? For those of you guys who have ever been to the symphony, who enjoy the orchestra, there are some Broadway shows that do this as well. In the first few minutes or the first act, what they'll do is they'll actually give you kind of a preview of the entire story. Like at the symphony, they'll actually walk you through the themes of the entire symphony, but they'll do it in the first act. So you go, oh, this is coming. And you start to feel and touch the movement of what is happening, but it's just kind of condensed. And then they begin to unpack that and pull that back into the rest of the performance. And Paul does that here in the opening words of the gospel. So I wanna turn you again to verse three and four of Galatians chapter one. And today, very simply, I wanted to return us to the simple gospel of Jesus. And I want us today to make a renewed commitment that we're gonna be gospel people and that we're gonna be a gospel church. Not just the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of Jesus. And I'll break down the difference in that here in a few minutes. Number one, here's what Paul says. Paul says, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. The beginning of our gospel begins with these two massive comments, grace and peace. What does that mean? You know, the word grace isn't really a word that's common in our day. It's common in our, not common in our culture for those who are outside of the church. For those that are in the church, we use the word a lot, but I think it's kind of almost become just like a catch word that we don't really understand what does the full weight of grace means. The word literally means gift. A gift, gift to you. Gift of what? Everything that God is and everything that God has done and everything that God is doing currently for you. Like when you read this, don't read this as grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ who did something for me thousands of years ago. Read this as every morning I wake up, the gift of the goodness of God is being extended to me. And what exactly, what, what gift are we talking about? Like the working definition of grace I came up with is very simply this. It is the goodness of God poured out to you without measure in the form of gift. What is the grace of God? It's God being kind to you when you don't deserve it. It's God providing your daily bread for you every living moment of your life when you know that you can't provide it for yourself, but he's doing it out of grace. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we deserved. And something happens. I don't know how it happens. I've not gotten into the psychology of it, but I feel like sometimes the longer we live in God, we, we subconsciously convince ourselves that the goodness and the grace of God, the undeserved kindness of God is not enough. Like something I've got to do, I've got to earn this. I've got to work for this. I've got to merit this. I've got to read more. I've got to give more. I've got to work more. I've got to labor more. I've got to, I've got to be better. No, and that's exactly what Paul is kicking back against. The gospel of Jesus is grace has been given to you, not because of what you've done, but because of the benevolent overflowing kindness of God, it's a gift. And friends, I wanna encourage you and I wanna encourage us, let's live in that gift. Like I love gifts. Earlier this week, I had a buddy of mine roll up and uh, he dropped off a water bottle that my kid left at his house. And he also dropped off a dozen old-fashioned donuts. Why? Why? Was it because I had done anything? Was it because I went and worked on his car? Was it because? Nope. It's pure gift. 
Guys, I'm here to tell you, man, we serve a God who every single day, he's pouring out the gift of his kindness and his goodness to you. And you know how we become good people? By receiving goodness from God. Do you know how we learn how to be kind to our enemies? By receiving, some of you need to learn how to be kind to yourselves. You need to receive the kindness of God's grace so that kindness can flow to you, for, to your enemies and your coworkers and your neighbors, and it just flows from your life. Here's the second word. He says, grace and peace be to you. This word peace is actually an echo of the word shalom in the Hebrew language. And for those of you who are aware of the idea and the concept of shalom, it is not sitting at day spas with kind of, you know, ambient quiet music flowing over us and pedicure, not just pedicures. And it's not that, okay? The idea of shalom was actually a word that was given to the entire nation of Israel to speak of wholeness, of being without lack, of being without need. It is, it is the idea that because God is for you, because I'm with you, you can have the assurance that no matter what is happening, that you can be secure and you can be ridiculously confident in all situations in life. Well, you mean you tell me that I could be ridiculously confident when I just got terminated? You mean to tell me that I can be ridiculously confident when I'm working through struggles with my kids or with my marriage or I, I, I literally can't stand my coworker? Yes, you can be ridiculously confident because your assurance in the fullness of life is not in you. Your assurance is based on what God has already done for you. And so Paul announces this. He says, peace. It's one of the reasons throughout church history, we've kind of developed this in our liturgy where we turn to one another and we say, the grace and the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. What are we doing? We're practicing sharing the gospel in condensed version. We're practicing announcing the truth. There is a new age that has begun because of the kindness of God and because of the security that he has made available in the work of Jesus. Here's the next concept. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the one who gave himself for you. He is the one who gave himself for our sins. There's a word here. It's a theological word that I want us to become familiar with. It's called cruciform. Say that with me. Say cruciform. C-R-U-C-I form for those of you guys who are writing notes right now. And what does cruciform mean? It means to live a cross-shaped life. It means that everything about how we live is influenced and informed and determined by the cross of Jesus. It means when Jesus says, if you're going to really follow me, you've got to take up your cross and you've got to deny yourself and you've got to follow me even if that means it costs you something. Friends, we have brothers and sisters right now throughout the entire world that are paying a high cost to be followers of Jesus. They are living a cruciform life. The cruciform life says, this is not about me and how blessed I can be and how beautiful I can be and how convenient life for me can be. The life of the Christian is a life that's, it's, it's a life of self-giving love. In fact, I, I would say if you could boil Christianity down to one ultimate characteristic, it's this. The Christian should be defined by self-giving 
love in the manner and in the way of Jesus. How do we know who the Father is? We know who the Father is by looking at the Son. And the Father sends the Son, but the Son doesn't do this under compulsion. The Son says, I am willing to freely lay my life down. For all of you guys who are Marvel fans, for, forgive me for those of you guys who may not like connect with the storyline here. But in the first 10 years of the, the Marvel universe, all these superheroes, we're introducing all these characters. Over a decade ago, there's this guy who comes on the scene, Tony Stark. Like, I don't know if I like you or not. You're so snarky. You're so narcissistic. I just like, well, what is going on with you? Yeah, you're, you're beautiful. You're a billionaire. You're so smart. But I'm not really sure how I feel about you. And we followed this guy's story over the course of you know, galactic battles and conflict with other superheroes. And this all points us to this moment when all of the superheroes in the Marvel universe are fighting against this massive villain, the devil, right? Like just make the connections here, <laughs> right? And they're like, how, 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 can we, how can we beat this villain? It's impossible. And in a moment where it just seems like everything is utterly hopeless, you guys know the story. If you haven't watched the movie, you should have seen it by now. Tony <laughs> takes a gauntlet that he has created and he, he snaps. And when he does, he realizes that when I snap, this is going to like, it's, it's going to completely destroy our enemies, but it's going to do so at the cost of, of my own life. And, you know, people are crying in the movie theater. Tony, like, you're like... Like, what is that? It's an echo of the gospel. Guys, I want you to understand that if you look hard enough, you'll see that the gospel is in everything. You will see that it's, I do this, I do this evangelism training. I used to do it for the missionaries at ORU. And, and guys, we would talk about colors and we would talk about um, locations. We would talk about um, spiritual themes like beauty and art. And we would find the gospel in those things. We would find the gospel in the universal themes that no matter where you live, no matter where you were born, people in Africa, people in China, people in Latin America, the same themes, death, life, beauty, destruction, hope, fear, all of these universal themes are the gospel embedded into the world around us. I want you to begin to awaken yourself. When you read the newspaper, look for the gospel. Right? When you're going about your day, look, the gospel is hiding there. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself. What is the gospel? It is the story of God himself in self-giving, sacrificial love, doing what would hurt him so that it would help you. That's the gospel. But something very peculiar, Paul uses this interesting language. He says, he gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I'm a good evangelical my entire life. I have heard that God died for my sins, that if I believe in him, that I'll be forgiven, I'll go to heaven. Good, I get, you know, I, that's the gospel. Wrong. That is a modern evangelical, partial, skewed view of the full message of the gospel. Jesus didn't die so that we could relocate ourselves and have a get out of jail free card and make sure that we go to heaven forever. That is not the gospel. The gospel 
is that in self-giving love, Jesus laid down his life. And when that happened, there was, I'm going into Loki on timelines now. When that happened, a new timeline began into our current age. What? Like, yes, we are living under an age where the enemy is at work. And when the resurrection takes place, the future begins to enter into the very benchmark of time and it begins to work in parallel so that now I'm, I'm, I'm still living in this present evil age, but I'm living under a new ruler and I'm actually living in a new world while I'm still living in this age. Like I'm, I'm living in this age, but I'm living in a new world. Like, I think a practical example is the seasons of our calendar. For those of you guys who have kids, if I were to ask you, when does summer end? Some of you guys would say summer ends as soon as school begins, right? For those of you guys who are football fans, you would say summer ends as soon as Alabama Crimson Tide start playing in two weeks. Summer's <laughs> over. It's over. It's over. No more summer. Like, I, I love summer. I'm trying to hold on to every ounce of summer from shorts to lemonade to watermelon to popsicles to pools. Like, I'm just, I'm like holding on to summer. Like, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got like Hawaiian tropic oil diffusers, just like, oh, summer is calling me, right? Pictures of the beach, right? Summer. But you know, when summer officially is over, I just looked it up today. It's actually Wednesday, September the 22nd is when summer is officially over. So in the church calendar, not like the, not the ancient church calendar, but the, the New Life Midtown church calendar, we kind of say ah, summer's over after Labor Day, right? You got your vacations done. You've gone to Mexico, 14 scooping down. That's great. All right, let's, let's get back to church, okay? Summer's over. Labor Day has happened, Okay. But no, after Labor Day, we will still be living in weeks of summer. But here's the thing. There are some of us who are already pulling the fall into summer. Some of you are already like longing for pumpkin spice lattes, right? You know, you look around and that, you know, the the stores are already selling Halloween costumes. What are they doing? They're pulling the fall into, they're living now in the summer as if it is already the fall. Right? right? Some of you guys have already put up flags for your college or your NFL football team. What are you doing? It's not summer. No, 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 no. It's the NFL season. It's time. Summer's over. The fall is here. Summer is not over. <laughs> no, but you are living now as if it's over because you're bringing a new season into the current one. We as Christians are called to live as if Jesus rose again. Yes. Now. Yes. Now. So I want you to read the scriptures. I want you to get underneath the message of what the victory of the cross is all about and go, wait a minute, you mean like I can, I can live that out now. I can believe that healing can happen now because the resurrection began. You, you might remember in Easter, we preached this message out of Matthew chapter 28 Jesus is resurrected from the dead. There's a couple of guys that are hanging out by his tomb. They roll the stone away. Angels pop out. And here's, what, here's the first thing Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wait, wait, hold on, Jesus. Listen, I, you, I don't know what you were doing the past three days. But the same guys who killed you, they didn't just go away. And they don't like us. 
and now you're gone, right? How can you tell us don't be afraid? Here's how. I can tell you not be afraid because if the best that they can do is kill, I rose again from the dead. Is that all you've got? Don't be afraid. Live as if the resurrection is a reality. That is what it means to be shaped by the gospel. Live as if there can be a new Afghanistan, right? Because of the resurrection. Live as if God who saved terrorists in Acts chapter 9 can still visit terrorists today, right? Live as if the church of Jesus Christ is still the people that God is building and forming and which he is revealing who Jesus is to the world. Live that way, right? Live as if the reconciliation of the ages is possible, right? Because believe it or not, when we're in heaven, we're going to be worshiping with all nations, all ethnicities, all people groups. You're going to be surprised. I know you're going to be surprised. You're going to be like, there is no way and there is no way that you should be here. Live like that now. Live now like the person you can't stand who happens to be a Christian who believes differently than you. Live as if they are in fact people of the resurrection. Live in the new world. That's what the gospel is all about. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us and he rescued us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. You stand with me this morning. I wanna announce to you today that it was God's good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure to come after you. It brings God exceedingly great joy. It brings God incredible delight to bring you into this new world and into this new family. You may feel like you've disqualified yourself, friend, this is all grace. It's all gift. It's all goodness to live under the reality of the new world that has begun by the resurrection of Jesus. Would you, would you bow your heads with me here for a second? It doesn't escape me that there might be some with us in person or online who might be hearing this gospel for the first time or might be hearing it after multiple times and something connects today where you recognize, my God, this is for me. There's something inside of me that convinces me of the fact that this is real and that this is true and that I don't have to earn my way into relationship with God and that life for me can be different and that I I can live in a new world in the present age that I'm living in. And right now, I wanna encourage you to search your heart And if you're here today and you would say, I believe in this message and I believe in this story and I want to be part of the people of resurrection. I want Jesus's goodness and kindness that was undeserved to come to me and rescue me from the present evil age. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing in your heart and with your mouth, I want you to simply say yes. Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to who you are. I say yes to the fact that you are the resurrected one. I say yes 
that you gave yourself for my sins. I don't have to keep giving myself for my sins. I say yes, that you rescued me. I say yes, please rescue me from this evil age and make me a new creation. I say yes to your kindness. I say yes to your invitation. And I say yes to your good Lordship in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're going to come to the table and we're going to celebrate this gospel today. You can exit on your left, come and take one of these small containers and we will speak to it and we will pray over it all together. by the Spirit and bound together by His Spirit. And all those today who happen to be guests at our table, you are welcome here and you are wanted here. Just hours before Jesus laid down His life and gave Himself for us, as the Scripture says, He had a meal. It was a fellowship meal in honor of the Passover where Jesus took bread. He took that bread and He broke it. And He says, guys, symbolically and also quite literally, this bread speaks to my body. And my body is broken for you. I'm giving my body for you. And then he says to them, take this and eat. Friends, I just pronounce to you today, the body of Christ broken for you. Let us take and let us receive. table, there was a cup, very customary to the Passover meals, full of wine, and pours this out into all the cups of his brothers, and he says to them, guys, in the same way that a a grape is crushed, my life's going to be crushed, the same way that this wine came from something of the earth, my life has come to this earth. And this cup speaks of my blood. And in my blood, I'm gonna secure for you a new arrangement. This is the arrangement, it's called a new covenant. You no longer have to work for my acceptance because my life and my death and my soon coming resurrection will be absolutely sufficient to bring you into relationship with God and to live in this new creation reality. So friends, today, the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us take and let us drink. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks be to God, church. Indescribable gift of life. Thank you for your new creation reality. Jonathan, would you lead us in a song of thanksgiving today? Praise God from whom all blessings 
friends, as I commission you today into your world, into your neighborhood, and to your place of vocation, into your schools, let me remind you that you are ministers of this gospel, that you are new creation agents that live in a new creation world where all things are becoming new. You're living in that now. And somebody this week needs what you're carrying. They need the resurrection life that you carry within you. They need the unique way that you know God. They need your prayers. They need your attention. They need your encouragement. So as I send you out today with blessing, I declare over you today, may the free gift of God's goodness and may the shalom wholeness of his peace be yours in abundance in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen.